everyone. This is Jeffrey Kerr. I'm here today with another old interview I've conducted. This one was recorded back in January of 2018 with a very talented young kid by the name of Joshua Grosso. He can currently be seen as Marius in the national tour of Les Miserables. So without further ado, let's get on with the interview. To start things off, how has it been touring with Les Miserables? Oh, it's been fantastic. It's something totally new. First major project that I've been a part of since I left school. Like I said, fantastic and kind of like just all these different experiences, kind of learning the ropes as I go, especially since it's a tour. So you just have a very different dynamic of a show that would normally sit down for either months or years or whatever. This one's constantly moving, so it gives kind of a new taste and perspective almost every week. You know, we're moving to a different city every week, so it's a different audience and it's a different house. So I personally kind of love it because you never really settle and you're always kind of tweaking things here and there. So it always keeps the experience somewhat fresh and new. This whole experience has been like that. Just kind of something that I've been learning as I go, but totally wonderfully great and just it's a blessing. This musical has been all around the world for over 30 years. How did you first discover it? I was always somewhat familiar with it. I never really heard the music growing up. I was born in Colombia and then basically came to New York and came from a very Latino family, so I didn't know what musicals were growing up. But I guess I, I had always known of the music because it's so iconic. So even if I didn't know the show, I knew the songs like Bring Him Home, One Day More, you know, I Dream the Dream, all of the iconic songs of the show, I always knew of them. And then the first time that I actually ever got to see anything about the story was when it came out as a movie, the movie version. And I say a couple years later, I managed to audition for this. So totally new perspective coming into this project. We should say that this production is a revamped staging that originally began as a 25th anniversary tour in 2010. And thanks to the success of the film version, it ends up coming to Broadway in 2014, where it ran for two and a half years. But do you mind telling us how different this production is from the original staging? I mean, the original one, which you can still see in London, I believe, has the iconic turntable. And this one no longer has that. It's much more cinematic. The scene work and lighting design are absolutely beautiful and outstanding. It's one of the most beautiful shows that I, A, have ever been a part of, and B, have been able to watch here and there. It just looks great. And as far as story goes, still, you know, the classic story, but I think what I really treasure about our cast is, I'd say, one of the younger cats out there. So we kind of brought this energy and vitality to all of the scenes and to the story, and the creative team were wonderful enough to give us room to play, you know, and to kind of discover what the characters meant for one of us. There's just a little bit more of a gritty realism, I'd say, to the shows and what people might have seen or might expect instead of just standing or singing or whatever, you know, there's more of a compelling objective of behind every single song and there's a scene and there's these characters are ultimately people and that's what you want. The only added quality to that is that everything is sung, but even then the stakes are that much higher. I'm hesitant to say differences because the reason why this show has lasted for 30 plus years, you know, is because of the fact that it has always been kind of a pulse of the cultural heartbeat of the world, you know, especially this message that's behind the musical. But I think we found our own little meaning behind the show, you know, and our own little, like, mix behind it. I'm really proud of that. In fact, we should talk about how, you know, every year it almost seems that this timeless story has always been relevant for one reason or another. Why do you think the story of Les Miserables is relevant to today? I think ultimately because it tackles questions that we, that I myself and that I see other projects try and tackle basically questions that we have tried to answer since the beginning of our own awareness of our existence. It's a question of love. 
love, loyalty, forgiveness, compassion, good, evil, identity. It's questions that basically form our own stories, right? Form our own lives and then form what type of impact we have on the world. There are things that everyone wants an answer for and there are things that everyone wants ultimately to leave a positive effect. You know, to be remembered as a quote-unquote, you know, good person or an important one. And I think this show kind of does a beautiful job of showing that everything's not necessarily so black and white and that the world is mostly gray and that it's okay. You have characters that are completely staunch into the fact that they are the definition of law and good. And then you have characters like, you know, Jean Valjean that basically spend the majority of their lives trying to make up for that fact and find redemption. And then characters in between, you know, that kind of shift back and forth and are not quite sure what choices they should make or what kind of person they want to be. So ultimately, I think this story, like now, whether it was 30 years ago, today, or even 30 years from now, those questions will never die. And that hope will never die. The hope of becoming a better person or the hope of finding love or finding forgiveness, that will never die. That will inherently live forever because that's what makes us human. I think that's why it's going to stick around for even longer. And in this current touring production, you play Marius, a role that has been played by so many different actors in the past, including men who've gone on to have successful careers like Hugh Pinero, who's become such a Broadway vet, Ray Walker, who's now with the North Carolina Theater Conservatory, Chris Diamantopoulos, who's now enjoying a successful career in television, Josh Young, who would later make his Broadway debut in a Tony-nominated performance as Judas and Jesus Christ Superstar, Adam Jacobs, who would go on to originate the title in Aladdin on Broadway and now on its tour, and Eddie Redmayne, who would go on to become an Oscar-winning actor. So how do you make the role your own? You know, part of that is kind of trusting the fact that I am not any one of those guys. One side, that you tell yourself, okay, that's at least, let's say, like 30% of the work done. Like, there will be no way that I can actually be imitating them unless I actually try. But that's not to say, you know, that there aren't things that you kind of inherently admire and just kind of steal and kind of make your own by watching these guys or hearing these guys and seeing what works and what doesn't. The huge help of what made these iconic characters kind of accessible was the book. This book that Victor Hugo, you know, wrote is filled with so much detail from what they're wearing to how they're walking to what they're thinking. I kind of honed in on something that I really liked and something that I could really relate to in terms of the character of Marius and then just kind of started focusing on that and then from there started to branch out. And of course, always in the back of my head, you know, you're always thinking of these other actors like what you said, you know, like Adam Jacobs, Eddie Redmayne, Michael Ball, you know, which a lot of the time like is the definitive Marius, you know, and you kind of go, it's like that really works. In this moment, I really liked how he did this or I really liked how he did that and ultimately, I liked how he makes me feel, right? I like how his portrayal of the character made me understand something maybe that I wouldn't have understood before. So then it becomes a matter of not how can I copy that, it's more so how can I evoke the thing that response that I have. It's just more so like what's my version of that. It gets tricky, but you know, you, you figure it out. And your directors, Lawrence Connor and James Powell, they've been with Les Miserables for, I guess, years, even before they started directing the show themselves. How's it been working on the material with them? It's like a never-ending well of just knowledge, or more so just like a, like a never-ending playground where you just find different tools and you bring in this idea and they go, yep, let's try that, and then you do it and you go, maybe that worked, maybe that didn't, maybe we can tweak it. You would never think working with these guys that this show has been up for 30 years. I found myself asking questions that you ask yourself at a workshop for a new play. You expect to walk into these types of musicals that are so up for kind of something already set. So 
So I guess from your perspective, what are the challenges of performing a musical that's like literally almost all the way sung through without a single line of spoken dialogue? Oh man, I mean, in a very like simplistic sense, it's staying healthy. That's <laughs> going <laughs> in this loose season, you know, it's killing us all. So yeah. that would be the first bit. And I guess, it, you know, everything's about fine balance. You want everything is done, it's done, like you said, so everything has to have sounds obviously nice you know, has to be enjoyable to the ear. But at the same time, we have so many moments where certain scenes are heightened, like the entire barricade sequence is basically just a battle, and it be at any moment could die. And the heart full of love, you know, it's just the scene between Cosette and Marius, and even Ebony in the back, that has its own sense of urgency. So carrying that sense of urgency into the song, I say would be a tricky balance to have, because, again, you want to sound great, because it is a musical, but at the same time, can't forget about the acting. You're trying to make real people informed and kind of realistic decisions and choices. There's a sort of heightened sense that you have to have, like, I'm singing, hello, how are you? Uh, you have to trust the work that the audience goes along with you and you can't be shy about it. You just have to attack it. You just have to go with it. And then the audience kind of, after, let's say, a couple minutes, tends to all of a sudden trust the fact that you have them and that you're going to take them for this ride. And they're, they're, they're here, you know. It's not a lot of times where you literally have a show that's entirely sung unless it's an opera. In this case, it's a musical. It's a challenge, but it's one that's so unique that it's pretty awesome. Speaking of flu season, I did see your Rosette Jillian Butler tweeted how she was getting through it earlier today. <laughs> yeah, she is a freaking trip. I freaking love her. Like, she is fantastic. I love her so, so much. She's been such a huge help and such an awesome partner throughout this entire thing. And literally, like, how you said, you know, how has tour life been or how has this been? And, you know, she's been kind of like one of those tenements, <laughs> one of those, like, foundational rocks that has, like, carried me through this entire process. I have been drinking vitamins and been having fluids that I had no idea what they were before until she told me, oh, you should take this and this and this because, you know, it clears your throat up in five minutes flat. And you're like, okay, correct. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. It's been great. It's been wonderful. We've been trying to keep each other healthy, you know. <laughs> and you are, of course, a previous winner of the National High School Musical Theater, otherwise known as the Jimmy Awards in New York City. Now, what was that whole experience like for you? Oh, man. Well, long story short, I originally wasn't supposed to go. I was the runner-up, basically representing Florida. And I don't remember the timeline exactly, but basically the original winner from Florida wasn't able to attend because of personal matters. And so they asked me if I was interested in going. So I did. And that was the year that they were filming for PBS series, the Broadway bus. It was so strange. It seemed like the longest week of my life and like the shortest week of my life. It was such a strange little time, such a strange bubble. But at the same time, I couldn't believe I was surrounded by so many people that were so incredibly, not only talented, but just so incredibly supportive of one another. There were such great people. And at the same time, we were going to be performing on Broadway, you know, at the Minskoff Theater. And that's what we were getting ready for. And that was a week in my life during high school. It was just such a strange and surreal thing. And then to have my everyday wake up and go to a workshop class to prepare the song for the end of the week and working with Liz Calloway. Like, not a lot of people can say that. So that was another experience that I was just so fortunate to have. And yet I still look back on it and I go, it's kind of weird that I did that. It's kind of crazy that I did that. Never really expected to be doing something like that. Oh, well, yeah. And Liz Calloway, of course, worked with the team of Alain Boublil and Claude Michel Schoenberg on the original Broadway production, Miss Saigon, which, of course, was also produced by Cameron McIntosh. Yeah, that's right. That's right, the big man himself, yeah. When you're done with the tour, what are some dream roles you'd love to pursue in the future? Oh, man, I've always been awful in that question. I've always been so bad at that question because I think so far I've 
this until I do it. And I've never really had to think about that. I've never really had to think about the dream role that I wanted to perform. I don't know how, but I've just been so blessed to stumble upon these roles and just go, this is a fantastic role. Like, I've been loving the roles that I've been able to do, either in school or in a couple of sides, like a smaller project that I've done, or and like this one, like Marius. What a beautifully challenging, complex, and yet such an iconic role for me to do within such an iconic musical. So, to be honest, I don't know. I've never really had a dream role before. Well, you probably have some time to think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in conclusion, what advice would you like to give to any aspiring young performers out there? If there was any advice that I would, at least I would tell myself, it's just more so the fact that I still don't know. And I use that phrase kind of broadly. Like, I remember thinking when I was like 15 or 18, I remember thinking, well, in a couple of years or when I get a job or if I book a tour or if I book Broadway, I'll have a couple more answers in my life how to do this. And the honesty, the truth of the matter is that I still don't know. I'm still grappling with those same questions. Still, me, no job or no award or, you know, merits really change who you are. They just kind of change the circumstances that you're in. And that's not meant to be pessimistic at all. It's more so meant to be in the fact that, like, change and knowledge is, A, absolutely in your hands, and B, the entire thing is a learning process. Like, the entire journey and experience is a learning process. And that's kind of an exciting thing to keep doing this. I'm learning something new, either about myself or about the business or about my craft every single day. And if I knew everything, then I'd know I'd be doing something wrong. At least when I was 15, 18, whatever, that weird feeling of like kind of being uncomfortable, being afraid of not knowing, at least to me, it's never really left. And it's something that I've been trying to embrace and, and kind of confidently say, I don't know, and then trying to find the answers for it. And I think it's something kind of scary, especially nowadays, to be someone and say, I actually have no idea what the answer is. Because so much of the time, it seems like you have to know. At least for right now, I don't think you do. I think you have to embrace the experience. You have to embrace the learning process of it. Just trust that the answer comes when it comes, or the opportunity comes when it comes, and then you have to be ready for it. I think that would be, at least for today, you know, you can ask me tomorrow, and that would be a completely different advice. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's where I'm at today in terms of that, you know. Joshua, I thank you very much for devoting your time to this interview, and I guess we'll see you at the barricades. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and or subscribe wherever you get this podcast. And I'll see you all later.